BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds, and Republicans have moved on from blaming doors for school shootings to wanting to arm teachers. We have a show that will blow your mind. Former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, host of MSNBC's Inside with Jen Psaki, stops by to talk about her pivot from member of the White House to member of the media. Then the circus's John Heilman will join us to talk Trump's Waco, Texas rally symbolism. But first, we have the host of the enemies list, the one, the only, the Lincoln Project's Rick Wilson. Rick Wilson! Molly Jongfast, I am here with you. You're back. I am everywhere. I surround the world. <laughs> uh, you're back from uh, wherever it was you were. Uh, my, undisclosed. Like undisclosed West Coast locations, various. Undisclosed locations to uh, talk about the 36 counts. It's 34 counts. Of indictment that he, or incitement, as Trump likes to call it, all caps. Uh, that Alvin Bragg has dropped today. Discuss. President Capslock was having a, <laughs> a terrible evening, but I, I must say, I think he's probably, <laughs> there's a part of Trump that is absolutely in fucking heaven right now. He knows right. there will be no other story on cable news for the next several days, possibly including CNN, which may notice somehow that they have to report on this and not <laughs> cover things like the crisis of Bolivian flute manufacturing. He knows he's going to be in the spotlight. He knows that the charges will never be heard before the election of 2024. Right. He knows that it, even if he gets one asshole on the jury, he walks away. And you know what? Manhattan, maybe 85% Democrat, but he'll find an asshole on that right, jury. Right, right. So I, I have been saying, look, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad that there was a sign that the rule of law uh, in this country, even at the state level, was going to be upheld and not say, yeah, you know what? Trump gets a pass. You know, look, I don't think I don't think anything we've seen tonight changes the position Trump has in the political culture. He is still the center of every bit of the MAGA universe. You saw every single Republican so far that I've seen. And I don't grant you, I haven't seen anything from Christie or Romney yet tonight. So I'll leave those on the table for now. But every single elected Republican or Republican presidential wannabe is out there stumbling over themselves, racing to be the one who says, no, no, not only do I, will I defend Trump, I'll serve your time, Mr. President. You know, they are all sucking up at a level, you know, that that is now, should now, 
be the expected mode for these people. It's the law doesn't matter. Trump is innocent no matter what. It's only the deep state. It's just the evil Jewish black conspiracy of Soros and his quote unquote animal DA. <laughs> so I was on my way home from a dinner and I was listening to a Twitter space that like broke in the middle. And in it, someone, a Trumper, was explaining to someone else, a non-Trumper, how uh, this was all about Soros. Oh, the, the, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, and look, let's not put, put, a, put too fine a point on it. The quiet part is way out loud these days, as we both <laughs> right. know. The anti-Semitic trope of the Jewish mastermind controlling everything from behind the scenes. It probably sounded better in the original German, but it's here we are now. Um, and they're going to blame Soros for this. Every single one of these Republicans, uh, DeSantis and Youngkin and a bunch of others I've seen so far, they always mention the Soros controlled prosecutor. He's an animal. Yes. <laughs> calling, calling, calling George Soros a crafty, devious manipulator behind the scenes and calling Alvin Bragg a, a savage animal. Those aren't that, that dog. I can barely hear that dog whistle. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, I just don't think that's the most convincing case against Alvin no, Bragg. Look, right? there, there's, a, mean, there's a lot of arguments that the, there's a lot of arguments that, that this is overcharging. And, right. and, and those well, are and things, also the tax cases was a better case. The right, DOJ uh, case. Right. And, the and Georgia did, case. Did, did Cy Vance fuck this all up by not moving right. uh, the bigger cases sooner? And is, is there some sense of like trying to re relieve pressure in the system? I don't know. But, uh, but look, we've never had an American president, not one, not ever, not even Richard fucking Nixon, get perp walked into a building, stood in front of a camera, fingerprinted, right. read in, indicted. Maybe he's in handcuffs. Maybe the Secret Service doesn't allow it. Who knows? I don't. I certainly don't know. But Donald Trump is about to enter a whole new realm of notoriety that he never expected to be in. Right. And that new realm of notoriety is going to be the first president with a mugshot. And if you don't think I'm selling the living fuck out of Trump indictment mugs, I mean- right. That shit, that, uh, uh, Lincoln Project store, folks. You got you trust me on this one. You're gonna you're gonna see that you're gonna see that son we of a bitch. Merch, we got a merch. I, we're gonna have uh, hardcore merch action. I mean, it's funny because today was the day that Gwyneth got off, right? Thank so God. I mean, I was, I, I'm Molly, I, all I could think of today was justice for Gwyneth. Justice for Gwyneth. What's in the box now, asshole? Uh, I stole an Andy tweet, but it's a brilliant one because remember, Gwyneth Paltrow was in seven. Uh, but I do want to just roll Gwyneth's it back. Head in a box. <laughs> I, I just want to roll it back here for a minute to not distract us from Gwyneth Paltrow. And just to say the few people in the Republican Party who still believe that DeSantis would save them are so pissed tonight. Um, let me tell you, <laughs> I actually heard from one of his, I heard from the donor advisor to one of his gigantic superstar Wall Street prizes. One of the guys okay. he's been walking around swinging his dick around in politics like, I've got X. <laughs> I took him from Donald because I'm a Harvard man and a Yale man. Right. Um, the donor advisor this person called me tonight and he's like, I don't think I can change my boss's mind yet, but God damn, that was fucking embarrassing. Because putting that tweet out basically said that Ron DeSantis is a gigantic, and I'll use the technical term the alt-right is so familiar with, cuck. He basically <laughs> said, oh, yes, Donald, I'm willing as a governor to say that I will obstruct justice and obstruct the law to protect you politically so that I can then run against you in a Republican primary. It's the most nonsensical, amateur hour, jokey fucking bullshit I've ever heard in my life. I've always said this. I've said this a year ago, started saying this. Ron DeSantis is an overpriced political stock. Right. He is not good with people. And folks, I'm making a lot of air quotes right now. Like my hands are going to be sore from all the air quotes I'm making. He's not comfortable. <laughs> By the way, I see him and he's not making he's not any comfortable quotes, yes. with humans. Oh, yes, I am. You're <laughs> oh, not, now he you're is. You're not now paying attention to the camera, young lady. He's not comfortable <laughs> with humans. He doesn't like people. <laughs> Oh, now he really make is. Eye contact. <laughs> There's something off-putting about him, <laughs> as if he's the last thing you see when you're being shoved into a trunk of a car. 
to go so to his si- lair. No, I'm look, he, 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 you knew this guy would fuck it up eventually because yeah. tonight, so for the last, let's say two weeks, there's been this little spritzing between DeSantis and Trump and DeSantis, he tried in the most lame, fucking passive aggressive, like pussyfooting way. Uh, I don't know anything about paying off a poonster. Right. And so, of course, <laughs> Trump is immediately like, out, comes out like, Ron DeSantis had sex with men and women and he's a groomer. <laughs> yeah. Of course he did. Right. Because that's how Trump works. Once you hit Trump, first off, you can't like slap fight Trump. You can't like pop right. him and then run away. You can't do right. what Marco and Jeb and the rest of the idiots in 2016 thought. Well, my focus group has come up with a heck of a one liner and I'm going right. to whip it out and get him on the stage. Right. And the New York Times will salute my wit. Um, yeah. No. Once you start fighting with Trump, you've got to kick that motherfucker in the balls. you got to knock him down. you got to break teeth out. you got to keep and hitting him and hitting him and hitting him. You. Right. I mean, you fought with Trump for years and years and years. Right. And I'm like one of the only people and I've got a lot of scar tissue, but I'm like one of the yeah. only people that no matter what he kept saying about me, I kept getting back in his fucking head and beating him more. Um, yeah. But but for these politicians, they're so afraid of this balancing act. And right now, DeSantis has tried to play this very clever. Uh, act, oh, it's clever in his head. Um, right. But to have this this very clever construct that he thinks is going to work, which is to go into billionaire donors, you know, like Ken Griffith and and Mary Madelson and all these other people and say, I'm a normal person. Uh, now, I have to give those rooms a little bit of boob bait. I have to throw them some red meat, but I'll be right. a regular Republican president. Would you like your tax cut in a large or extra large? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and would you like that in a loafer or a pump? But he, he, he's been trying to play that game. But the reality of the Republican primary has always been that why do you want diet Trump? Because as you may have noticed, people right. at MAGA rallies are not exactly here for the diet version of anything. <laughs> they are here for the full fat, high salt, high caffeine, monster energy drink of Donald Trump and Trumpism. And so right. this idea of DeSantis playing, trying to play up the middle, it was always doomed to fail. And tonight when he puts that tweet out and basically says, I'll throw my body in front of them. I will not let the law enforcement come to my state to, to offend the, to offend your sacred flesh, Donald. It, it was pathetic. It was futile because Trump's going to turn himself in because he wants to, do, to wants to do the perp walk. Right. He wants to he do wants, the cameras. Right. It's fun. Oh yeah, he's going to yeah. go out there and put the fist in the air and he's going to do the whole yeah. the whole thing. And the fact of the matter is, this is a net positive for Trump. Right. None of these other candidates are out there right now saying, "See, this is the proof." That Donald Trump should never, ever, ever be within a billion to jillion miles of any political office ever again. He is a criminal and a scumbag. Instead, Lindsey Graham is on Fox tonight, literally weeping. Like, it's I mean, and Don Jr., of course, and I, as I as I qu- tweeted today, Don Jr. is comparing uh, Alvin Bragg to Mao and Pol Pot. And yeah. as I said, you know, his 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 uh, context of history is as full, as full of holes as his septum. This is a guy. You know, these people are losing their fucking minds over this stuff. And Trump himself, though, is in a more secure position than he has been politically right, right. in a very long time. Right. No, and this was a good. This apparently, was a- I, I also received the text while we were doing doing this. Apparently, QAnon is back tonight saying that this is all part of the plan. Trust the yeah. plan. Oh, the plan is Soros that he goes to pa- jail. Soros is panicking. What is Trump going to go inside prison so he can discover the pedophile rings? <laughs> I mean, just unbelievable. I, I mean, yeah. Good for him. You don't see that enough. You really uh, don't. It, it really, you really don't. And, and there's a sense of uh, there's a sense in my mind of um, of why bother with a Republican primary when all your opponents uh, basically are are asking you like you know can I can I give you another foot massage, sir? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think ultimately that is what it is, right? Uh, the fear of Trump, the fear of the mob, the fear of the base, and look. Fox News for every bit of Rupert's bullshit. I'm going to break him. <laughs> Trump will be a non-person when I've done with him. He'll be oh, like a, he'll be like a like a small desiccated chunk of lizard shit in the outback. Sorry, I'm just doing my my worst Australian accent for Rupert. 
as opposed to my best Australian accent, which is the same one. But look, they're they're back twenty four seven on on Trump now. They they found a villain. It's Alvin Bragg. He happens to be a black guy who they're going to say a hundred billion times in the next week or two. The black guy controlled by the Jewish mastermind because their audience is so sophisticated about these things. They need to have it laid out to them in simpler terms. Exactly. And again, it was always more clear in Der Sturmer in the nineteen thirties. But you know. <laughs> Sean Hannity's German is uh, awful. <laughs> Rick Wilson, we're so punchy and tired, but I, I appreciate it. I came you. off the red eye. I've had about one hour of sleep in the last 36, and uh, damn, I'm punchy. Oh. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I sleep better at night knowing my family is protected if something ever happens to me since I was able to compare plans very easily at policygenius.com. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quote and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from the Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car, like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive. You can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So, buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So, how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now, you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Jen Psaki is the host of MSNBC's Inside with Jen Psaki on Sundays at 12 p.m. Eastern and the former White House press secretary for President Joe Biden. Welcome to Fast Politics, Jen. Uh, It's great to be here on Fast Politics with you, Molly. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Delighted to have you. I want to talk to you about what's going on, but I also want to talk to you about how completely insane everything is. Um, <laughs> you First, well, let's just talk about your show. You have a new show. It is huge, huge success. Yes, thank you. They're going to let us do a third show <laughs> and a fourth show, I hope. So that's exciting. <laughs> You're coming from the administration to the media. I mean, that's actually a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been some adjustments one, I had worked, which is a funny thing to say as this is coming out of my mouth, but I had worked in the White House longer than anywhere else in my life. I knew 
the security guards. I knew what to order at the lunch counter. I I knew where all the secret bathrooms were, right? (laughs) So part of my adjustment was coming into a new place and a big company like NBC and MSNBC, which is a huge opportunity because there's so many things going on on any given day. But that was part of my adjustment. Smaller parts of it has been just learning the mechanics of television news. I could probably talk about Russia, Ukraine, democratic politics, the debt limit until somebody stops me from talking. But I'm still learning about things like cues and commercials and and timing. And and so I've been working with great people who've been doing this for a long time to teach me all the ins and outs. We're finding ourselves in this like weird period of Biden has really overperformed in all of these elections, maybe because he's a genius, maybe because the circumstances have been incredibly um, good for him in certain ways. It's sort of an unprecedented time in democratic politics. It's an unprecedented time in politics. <laughs> I think we can say, and that impacts democratic politics. The thing about President Biden is that he's pretty used to being underestimated. Uh, I saw this when I was working for him for a year and a half as the White House press secretary, but even when he was the vice president. And sometimes people forget that the guy's been around the political world for 50 plus years. And while he may not always be trending on Twitter in the right way, he has kind of a um, connection with what people need, what they care about, how to speak to people in their communities who may not be paying attention to every single ebb and flow of whatever debate or craziness Kevin McCarthy's up to, if that makes sense, right? People in their communities. But I also think it's a really exciting time in democratic politics because there are so many new and interesting voices out there. And I mean, this is one of the things we want to do on the show is lift some of those people up and and introduce them to the country. But as much as it seems pretty clear at this point, it would be more shocking if he didn't run than if he did at this point, Joe Biden. And it doesn't seem like at this point that there's a long way to go, of course, that he's going to have a big primary challenge. So as much as that seems to be where the presidential race is headed. There's also all sorts of like interesting, different, compelling voices in democratic politics speaking out against everything from Trump's crazy antics to the need for gun reforms to all sorts of things. And that's an exciting time, I think. Exciting part of what's happening. Right. He's definitely going to run again. He hasn't announced yet. There's definitely an anxiety there. You mean among the public? Yeah. Yeah. Look, if you're in the White House right now, you are certainly aware of the fact that Joe Biden is 80 years old. Right. Which, by the way, Trump is 76. So, you know, there's that. I think that if Trump runs against Biden, it's not going to be an issue. I mean, there's no world in which anyone is like, the, you know, the, that that is not the issue. The, but and I and I don't think there's a world where you could look at Biden and say he won three elections. He has historic. Right. I mean, this midterm was a crazy election, right? They barely lost the House. You can't say to that president, oh, no, you don't run again because you're too old. I mean, that would be like political malpractice. But in the same sense, you have to have that anxiety. I mean, just actually. What is true is that One of the most effective attacks that has come from the right and the barrels of the Internet and wherever it comes from is this notion or question of whether President Biden is up to the job because he is the oldest president in history. Right. I mean, as I'm going to state what it is. right? Right. At the same time, what's also true is that. You know, during the transition, which I worked on um, and I I didn't work on the campaign, as you know, but I worked on the transition. There was a lot of skepticism from progressives in the party and from others who cared about a range of issues from addressing uh, the climate crisis to doing more on guns to whatever the issue may have been that he would actually push for big change. And he did. Right. So what's working, I think, for him and them is that fact. He actually has a record to run on. Now, as you and I both know, the totality of winning a presidential election is not just about your record. Part of it is about that and should be about that. It's about what contrast you are with the other side. And for him, you know, he always uses the saying, which he's not the first to use, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative, right? right? Which is basically what politics is, you know? Politics is not about 
this is the perfect person with the perfect candidacy who has the perfect resume and perfect background. One, those people are boring and they never like make their way through the political world. But two, it's about, are you a better alternative? And, you know, it's interesting because I think back in the fall, if you you would have asked me, if we were having this conversation then, and we'd have asked me, well, when do you think he would announce? I would have said at the time, like, oh gosh, early in the year, right? But now it seems actually pretty clear if you're sitting in the White House right now why you haven't yet. Because why? Because the other side is like self combusting against each other, right? They're, you know, you have Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, who at this moment are the two leading candidates for the Republican nomination, right? Who are throwing so much different spaghetti up against the wall at each other just to try to take the other person out. While that's happening, all you really need to do if you're Joe Biden is like be president and be kind of like sane and stable and meet with foreign leaders and try to push policy through and and be frankly presidential and and above politics in some ways. And so that's and also kind of inform the public in different communities about what you've actually done. That's sort of this stage, obviously, if and when he gets into the race the gloves come off from his end too. I mean, I have this theory that he's actually a better president than he might have been in his younger days. And that part of, I mean, again, this is just like a theory and it's quite a crazy theory. It's one of these theories that I think about, but, you know, that he's actually much better than he would have been 20 years ago because he sort of has a kind of humility towards him. And he also tends to be kind of a consensus builder in a way that you might not see a younger, you know, he's sort of like, you you would be hard pressed to find, and again, the Democratic Party, right? It's, it's not an organized party. It's a huge group of people with we're not all against democracy or something, but you'd be hard pressed to find a group that's really not hasn't he hasn't sort of done something for that they had that was sort of on their list that they wanted. I mean, it's such an interesting point, Molly, that like he's a better president now. I mean, part of that is also that it's like, what president do you need in the moment? Right. There are other moments where he's run where he would have done a great job, but maybe wasn't exactly what the country maybe needed in the moment. And there are aspects of his background. If you look at Ukraine and sort of his background in foreign policy and as the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, it's not that every president would have spent hours and hours of time on the phone with European leaders in advance of even an invasion happening. Right. Right. He did that because he'd been working in the foreign policy world. For decades, even things like I remember meeting with him about the press secretary job. And uh, it's funny because (laughs) before I met with him, I was thinking like I needed to just study up and know everything about every issue in the world. I don't know. That's what I thought as if he was going to like grill me on the South China Sea in our conversation. I just didn't know. But what we talked about a lot was needing to kind of heal the nerves of the public. Right. And to your point, I mean, part of what his superpower is, is that at his core, he is a consensus builder and is drawn to that. Right. He is an empathizer in chief. You know, I mean, like when people have loss, when they are when they are hurting and the country was very much hurting. Right. So in that sense, he had a lot of the qualities of what people needed in the moment. Right. I also think there was a certain sense in which he just was a very electable candidate. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's like, what does that mean? Right. Well, it means they get elected. Right. Because it can mean all sorts of things. But I think there was probably during the primary process, and I'm guilty of this, too. I wasn't working on the campaign kind of an underestimation of his political power, right. right? And political effectiveness. It's like, I remember being in Iowa during the primary and it didn't, I mean, he got fourth or fifth or whatever place he got there during the caucus. It didn't really feel like he was barreling toward the nomination to anyone, right? But, you know, and then it was like, well, and he also doesn't have a good social media game or whatever the many ranges of critiques were at the time. But then- The reality is that where he won was by winning over what is essentially still the base of the party, which is like African-American voters in in South Carolina and other part and uh, and other. I was going to say March Madness. It kind of is March Madness, (laughs) but basketball's (laughs) going in my mind. Other primaries in March. Right. Right. 
it's sometimes to me when I look back at that, it's it's like a lesson and a reminder. I mean, I've lived in D.C. on and off for 20 years. So like I think D.C. is a great place, but it's easy to get kind of stuck in this echo chamber here. Right. Which is not how people actually talk, think about things, consume information. And he has had a connection with the world outside of D.C., which I think has helped him politically and helped him kind of overcome people's underestimation of his political capacity. You were like such a beloved press secretary. And, you know, you definitely had Fox News man who shall not be named like yelling at you. But you really didn't have the same kind of I mean, I think that people are I don't know if they're harder on her exactly, but it definitely feels like your predecessor has been really attacked in a way. It's a really, really hard job. And only the people who have stood there and done it um, know what that's like. And I think it's a small collection of people, regardless of your party, maybe with some exceptions from the Trump era, (laughs) who know that. right? Right. It's even harder when you're in a place where there's very little you can say. That has less to do with the person than the moment in time sometimes, you know? I mean, and I think the couple of months where it was like every day it was about documents and what was known or wasn't known, that's hard for anybody in that job to be doing that and to be in a position where there's not a lot you can say or add or share. It's also true that being the press secretary during a presidential campaign or a potential one is also hard because there is something called the Hatch Act, of which I violated um, and I got a sternly written letter. Wait, when did you violate the Hatch Act? At some point when I was the press secretary, I can't even remember what I said. It was something so innocuous. It was like about the president supporting someone or campaigning for someone. And I don't remember what wow. it was. I mean, let's remember Trump literally did the convention on the South Lawn. So like, right. I was going to say it's all relative. But my point is that there is a limitation to what you can say and and how much you can talk about politics. And so that limits even more what information you can provide. So I think it's that's really tough. I worked with Kareem closely. She's like a person who one, she's like a fantastic human being and she's a person. Yeah, she's been on this podcast. She's wonderful. She's wonderful. She's a fantastic human being. She cares deeply. She believes in like defending democracy and in public service and in what the president is trying to do. And I was fortunate to work with her for a year and a half. So but I I would just say that it's hard, Molly, because sometimes it doesn't mean you're always aligned in there. Right. Reporters are doing their job when they're asking for more information, even when they get heated about it and when they're asking tough questions about it. When you don't have information you can provide for whatever reason, that makes your job nearly impossible. And so. She knows that. And I think um, she's also like a super tough cookie and people should know that about her too. I mean, you have to be to do that job, right? Yes. Because I mean, even if they like you, they still don't like you ultimately, right? There's still a tension there. Yeah, of course. And there's meant to be. I mean, you know, the truth is the briefing room as a place where reporters are pushing and asking a question 10 times and pushing for more information and asking for press conferences with the president That is what they're supposed to do. Right. And when you're the press secretary, you're supposed to provide as much information as you can humanly provide about whatever the issue is to help shed light on what's happening in the mind of the president, in the administration and their work on behalf of the American public. There's a shared desire, I think, by most reporters and by most press secretaries to to be a part of the what what is essential in our in a democracy, which is like a fully functioning journalism sector. Right. But it doesn't mean that your um, approaches are always aligned. Right. Because it's if you're the White House press secretary and you said every time somebody asks for an interview, yes, that's like that's a disservice right, 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 right. to the president and the government. But every reporter should be asking for that every day. Right. So in, in that sense, even not through malintent, it can be conflicting. Tell us what's happening on the show this week. One of the insane reactions from many Republicans to the shooting in Nashville was to attack the trans community. Trans terrorism was actually trending the other day, which is horrible and crazy. And I spent the afternoon the other day with Danica Rome, who is the first transgender person elected uh, in Virginia. Uh, And we talked about that. We talked about 
her growing up. We also talked about, you know, what she wanted to do. She's running for state Senate. She's a delegate currently. And I think there's so many uh, misconceptions about so many people, but certainly people in the trans community feel this every day. While she is a very vocal advocate for trans rights and equality, as she should be, and many people know her because of that, she also is somebody who wants to fix roads and make sure kids have food in schools and things. And I think sometimes people miss that. So I spent time with her. We're also going to be talking a lot about guns and gun violence and the absurdity of that debate. We're, we're working on cooking up a couple of interesting guests. So that's where we are, noon on Sunday. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, Molly. Great talking with you. John Heilman is the host of Showtime's The Circus. Welcome to Fast Politics, John Heilman. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. And the politics over here is, it used to be fast. You should be called faster politics, I think. You know, it keeps getting faster, faster, faster. Well, if only it would be faster. We have never been a country where, I mean, Nixon didn't go to jail. Yes, and we've never been a country where, what? Finish the thoughts. Where there's been a lot of accountability for our electeds. There are many people who would say, Molly, that um, that one of the strengths of the American system is that we did not historically criminalize political stuff, that we kept political accountability in the political realm, and we kept legal accountability in the legal realm, and we tried not to. We hoped that rarely the twain would meet, right? We didn't right. want criminal presidents who were constantly, you didn't want people indicting presidents left, right, and center, or trying to jail sitting presidents of the United States. That'd be kind of a horrible country, like where you were constantly had the opposing party of either side, constantly trying to throw the president in jail on what would almost certainly be in many cases, I'm not talking about Trump, but in many cases would be spurious reasons. So I I think it's the fact that the country is not historically thrown a lot of presidents in jail or ex-presidents in jail. That's a good thing. Like we should be happy about that. Right. But, But I think it is, it does speak to the way our system was designed was not to rely on the courts to seek accountability from presidents and ex-presidents. And so now we're in a situation that is unprecedented for all the reasons that you and I and, and everybody knows. Donald Trump is not like any other president who's ever been president of the United States, even compared to, you know, Nixon did a lot of bad shit, but ultimately Nixon looked up and said, yeah, okay, they got me. I'm going to quit now yeah. and go hide out in San Clemente and write books and try to rehabilitate my reputation. Trump is, you know, the absolute opposite of that. And it's funny, I found myself arguing with somebody the other day that Trump is like, in some ways, if he could actually read and I'm not, I'm not convinced that he I'm not is convinced. literate. But if he could read, and then if he could read at a high level, I would say like Trump behaves like he's a follower of like Foucault. You know, <laughs> he's like people are like, well, with norms, standards, shame, right. and he looks at these and goes. You know, those are just words, right? They're just words like you all have attached meaning to, and they're historically contingent. They mean nothing to me. You've all decided that these things mean something, but you know that intrinsically they mean nothing. Right. And if you just decide they don't mean anything, you can get away with a lot of shit. We've never had a president like that before. Yeah. No, fundamentally, I mean, that is, I think, the real difference. And I think it's hard for people to sort of make peace with the fact that he will never say this is too much. The man last week, engaged in an open, totally racist, totally anti-Semitic campaign of intimidation, destabilization against uh, an elected DA here in New York, Alvin Bragg, and and really against the grand jury itself. I mean, it's, right. tr- it's clear what Trump was doing last week. It was like what he's done all, the, all throughout his, his political career, which is light a stick of dynamite, roll it into whatever venue he's going to play in, and like watch the rubble blow up in the air and see where it falls, and then kind of be like, I'm more comfortable in that environment amid the rubble and the you know the, the smoldering fires and the burning building than I am in in the kind of realms that every other politician is more comfortable in, which is like not amid blown up buildings and, 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 and fires, right? But it's an amazing thing. And on some level you go, well, it's not surprising at all. Trump, that's what Trump's done all along. Racist, sure. Anti-Semitic, sure. No respect for established authority, law, precedent, sure. He's done all those things. But even so, and maybe I'm just a baby or whatever, but like I still found it shocking, you know? Yeah. To to, to see, you know, oh, sure, I'll retweet or re whatever the fucking they call those things. I refuse to call them truths. I refuse to call them truths. Whatever that thing on Proof Social is, I'll retruth some post that has me holding a baseball bat aimed at Alvin Bragg's head. Sure, I'll do that. And then, of course, you know, I'll go and do all of it, le- culminating with this fucking crazy rally in, in Waco where I went. Oh, did you go to Waco? So, yes, I did and watched him stand there, you know, amid people who are like comparing him favorably to David Koresh as if David <laughs> Koresh 
you know, child rapist <laughs> and, and cult leader <laughs> and violent criminal who like set fire to a compound where he killed all of his followers. That guy's like, yeah, hey, David Koresh, that guy was great. And the government was really terrible in Waco, man. The jackbooted thugs who took that guy down. And you know, Trump's just like that. There was a siege at Waco and there was a siege at Mar-a-Lago and Trump's just like that. And then he walks out on stage and plays the J6 choir. You know, Joe right. calls them the convict right. choir and stands there with his hand <laughs> over his heart and basically is now in, in the process of essentially – you're going to see that at a lot of Trump rallies in the court this next year. It's like Trump basically saying not, hey, January 6th wasn't as bad as people said. It wasn't really an insurrection. It was really this or that. He's like not saying it wasn't as bad as, you, as people say. He's saying it was a great and glorious day and the patriots have been imprisoned – they are political prisoners, and that's like now his like out front hand over his heart, Molly. Hand over his heart. I mean, it's fucking crazy. Is it that Trump has not read enough? Like, did he read the first sentence about David Koresh and then not read the rest? I mean, do you think he was like, yeah, yeah, David Koresh? I mean, like, do you think he knows, like, slept with the underage girls, led a cult, or no? I have no idea. I really can't. I mean, I, I don't, I can't, you know, again, I, I'm not convinced Trump has read anything. There's a few things on TV now about Waco with this being the 30 year anniversary. So maybe, maybe he's watched, I mean, did he watch all three hours of the new Netflix doc? Right. I doubt that, you know, there's no, there's no topless women in that documentary. So like, right. when you watch that, I don't think so. <laughs> but I mean, look, Roger Stone dedicated one of his books to the Branch Davidians. Right. Roger Stone knows, you know, has Roger Stone ever talked to Donald Trump about what Waco means? Alex Jones was an unknown right-wing radio host in Austin until Waco, and he used Waco to become what we now know Alex Jones is. Does Steve right. Bannon know the history of Waco? Steve Bannon knows the history of Waco. Like a lot of people around Trump know what the history of this is, and they know that it became, you know, after first Ruby Ridge, then Waco, and then Oklahoma City, it became kind of this totemic you know, touchstone for the far extreme right, the militia movements and all those people. So does Trump know know any of that history? I never want to impute knowledge to Trump, right? It's like, it's not, I, I don't think he knows anything. <laughs> it seems unfair, yeah. But I think he knows that people who love him think Waco is is special in some way. And and so, I, again, I don't want to excuse him. I'm just saying like, I, I would never want to say, oh, Trump's, Trump has a great command of this history. I don't, I, you know, that seems ridiculous. But the people around him do. There are a lot of accidents. People make a lot of mistakes in politics, but there aren't coincidences. You know, you don't hold a rally in the middle of the 30th <laughs> anniversary of Waco in Waco while you're mounting an increasingly avid antic campaign of campaign of attacks on the legal system in which you are portraying yourself as a martyr. That doesn't happen by accident, right? That's that's the one thing I could say. It's like, oh yeah, hey, we, we picked Waco because it was very central to all the airports in Texas. What a fucking what a load of <laughs> right. bullshit that was. So that's all that's all I know. Yeah. I mean, I think it certainly does feel like he's priming the pump for anti-government. I don't want to say violence because, but it certainly feels like that's what he's doing. If it weren't for what happened on January 6th, you would kind of set, want to say, well, the suggestion that Trump is encouraging a violent protests against the government. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Trump wouldn't go that far. If it weren't for January right. 6th, you might, you might be like, okay, let's, you know, just let's force ourselves to not think that he's doing the worst possible thing you can imagine. But, you know, in the context of what he did in the run-ups January 6th, like it's now, you have a reasonable expectation. Why he did it once, why wouldn't he do it again? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's sort of amazing. So I want to ask you about this. There's a little bit of discourse in the like, maybe it won't be DeSantis, maybe it will be Glenn Youngkin. I don't know how any of these people went against Trump when Trump owns the base. I mean, it's, it's a formidable challenge to be as popular as Trump is with as large a chunk. And I have to say it over and over again for people who don't really understand, I guess, how politics works. It's like no one is saying that Donald Trump has a coalition that we look at his coalition and say that is a formidable general election coalition. No, it's not. But in our politics, it's a two part thing. You can't run in the general election until you win the nomination. So the first thing that every politician, not just Trump, but everybody, the first thing you're focused on is how do I get the nomination? Then you look and focus on what, you know, what you're going to do in the general election. Now, Trump has a lot of problems in a general election, but right. he also has a lot of strengths in the nomination process. And right. frankly, if you're worried about, I mean, A, you know, 
everybody who, you know, we've seen Trump's weaknesses not just played out. We saw them in 2016 to some extent, though he won. We saw them in 2018, in 2020, 2022. We know what he can't, what he doesn't have the capacity to do. But we also know that we have this weird system that's based on the Electoral College and not based on the popular vote. We know that you know, crazy shit happens all the time mm-hmm. in America now. And and we know that like, even if you said Trump isn't even a 50-50 chance in a general election, he's going to get 46, 47% of the vote nationally. Right. He's going to win a, every red state that we know that's a hardcore red state. And so like the guy stands up, what, you want to call it a 40% chance of being president? That's a pretty, that's like more than I'm comfortable with. Like yeah. I, it's, you know, 40% is four at four and 10 times. Yeah. And so it doesn't give me comfort to say, you know, Trump is going to be a severe, he is obviously the candidate that Biden would like to run against, not just right. because of some personal thing, but because, you know, of the weaknesses that have been on display electorally. But in the nomination fight, the thing that gets him into the position where he has somewhere between a 40 and 48% chance of being president, he's very strong. And you look at, you know, there is the, the appeal of DeSantis is a head appeal. It's like, it's these people at the Club for Growth and the Carl Rowe people who are sitting around going, they understand. It's the elite. And it's people who would like the Republican Party to, they, they understand that Trump's a loser and he's an albatross right. and he hurts the party down ballot. And they look at, they say, how do we get out of this? Well, we're not going to get out of this with Chris Christie. And we're not going to get out of this with <laughs> Governor Hogan from Maryland. We need someone who is like Mitt Romney, but who has just enough MAGA credentials. And here's a guy who's fought these culture wars in Florida. Base loves these culture wars. He loved to watch people punching trans kids in the face. And so they look at DeSantis and he's like the Frankenstein. He's like, you know, he's a lab created thing. It's like a mend- it's a project. It's like, here's the guy who basically we like and is an establishment Republican, except he's he's done these things that have worked for him in Florida manifestly. I mean, in a very impressive reelection there. And they say, okay, that's the guy who might be able to, to in a one-on-one against Trump, who might be able to take him down. And then you just look at like what it would actually look like. And, you know, I said this this morning on Morning Joe, it's like, has anybody seen the Ron DeSantis debate against Charlie Crist? Yeah, he's terrible. Has anybody seen the Ron DeSantis debate against against meth head Andrew Gillum? Like, yeah. he got taken apart by two. I mean, Andrew, Andrew Gillum was at that time a pretty talented performer. Right. Charlie Crist has never not, been a talented never. performer. Yeah. And 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 in both of them, though, DeSantis looked like a deer in the headlights in both of those of these major debates he's had to do. They shield him from the press on the ground in Florida because they they know that he's brittle yeah. and they think that he could go off the rails if he was ever had to take a lot of tough questions from reporters. They're worried about these debates and Trump is going to, you know, he's a human, th- he's a human threshing machine. He's, you know, I, I'd look at that and go, man, if I'm, tra- if I'm, if I'm DeSantis's people, I think as a practical matter, how's this actually going to work? Like in, in, in practice, all of Trump's support with the base. And again, whatever you think about Trump, he has a very, he's a very well demonstrated history of ripping other Republicans into tiny little pieces, into like confetti and blowing them and shooting them out of his confetti gun, uh, like at a halftime of an NBA game. Like, I don't, I don't see like how that's going to work. I think Trump will call him Tiny D and tower over him and that will be the end of it. Yes. I just think that, I think that, that, you know, it's an interesting thing in the Republican base right now because you do hear even, you know, down in Florida, we were down there for the circus and we went to, down there and talked to you. I ran into a lot of people in Florida, Republicans in Florida who say, we love Ron DeSantis, but we really would like him to stay here for another four years and let Donald Trump be reelected president because he had that taken away from him and he needs to finish the job. And so does Ron DeSantis. He needs to stay here and finish the job. DeSantis in 28 sounds great to us. And that's another problem DeSantis has. Even like there are a lot of people who are like, they don't want to see DeSantis and Trump fighting. They like right. actually kind of they want they don't like it when Trump attacks DeSantis and they don't like it when DeSantis attacks Trump. They're kind of like they're you know the Republican base is like can we all please just I mean in a funny way on on our team they would rather see the two of them like working together like let's just have this be orderly you know let's let Trump let's have Trump run in 2024 he'll win this is their view right the, their, right uh, and then let's ha- then let's have DeSantis pick up the the baton after he's fixed Florida I put quotes around air quotes around <laughs> fixed Florida after Whatever he's finished fixing Florida. Uh, right. and, and apparently, you know, shipping off all the tr- all, anybody who's uh, who's uh, who's uh, any trans kid, anybody who you know, any anybody who DeSantis doesn't like, so, you know, exile them. Right. But but then that's what they're looking forward to. And then they say, you know, uh, then DeSantis can be our nominee in twenty twenty eight. We'll get behind him. I've seen in the course of my time covering politics a lot of heralded candidates 
who were like Pete Wilson, people forget back in 1996, it was like Pete right. Wilson, governor of California, had like the sharp end of the spear on anti-immigration policies in America back then. Pete Wilson, governor of California, Republican governor of California, tough on, on immigrants, tough on welfare. He's going to be formidable. The guy was like an awful presidential candidate, terrible. you know. And you've seen this a million times, these people who are big state governors, Rick Perry, big state governors of, who are like, on paper, you're like- Scott Walker. Scott Walker. And then they got actually there in the arena on the national stage, which is just different, even when Trump wasn't around. And they just were terrible. Um, so we'll see. I mean, but I'm not I'm not in the camp yet of like, wow, Ron DeSantis is a juggernaut and he could really take down Trump. I mean, I'm that's not where I'd be betting my mortgage money if I had to bet. Thank you, John. So great. I really appreciate you. Molly, you're just the best. And now your moment of fuckery. Molly Drunkfast. Jesse Cannon. Now, when you're a pregnant woman, you can be a criminal if you cross state lines in Idaho. Yes. Idaho went from states' rights to no rights pretty <laughs> fucking fast. Idaho doesn't want you going to get abortion pills. They don't want you going out of state to get an abortion. I love that they're also apparently basing some of these laws off of slave laws about crossing up to the north. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's really nice. Fugitive slave laws is what we should be modeling our modern legislation off of. It's just disgusting, and I'm disappointed but not surprised. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling.